Hey, it's Mindy. I wanted to let you know that my Heart Path Retreat is coming up and you are not going to want to miss it, especially since this year you can attend from the comfort of your own home. This is the 2020 special, right? <laughs> this is actually going to be the 10th Heart Path, but the first time ever that we are doing a live virtual experience. Learn more at heartpathretreats.com. Get registered today and you will get more clarity, more courage, and more conviction by learning how to get out of your head and into your heart. I cannot wait to see you there. Heartpathretreats.com. All right, all right, let's get to the show. Join me on my journey as I explore wealth in all areas of life. I'm your host, Mindy Kinnis, and this is The Lucrative Society. JJ Virgin, thank you so much for joining me today. Super excited to hang out with you. (laughs) (laughs) It's always a good time when we hang out. So one of the questions that I ask all of my guests, and I would love to just use this as kind of a starting point for our conversation, is how do you personally define wealth? Hmm. So this is such an interesting question to me because I've always been driven more by freedom and impact than money and seeing money as a tool for those. And in fact, I think my highest value, core value is freedom, which is why I've had one job my whole life. And uh, (laughs) after I graduated from college, I've had one job, three months, I got fired. (laughs) (laughs) So to me, wealth is being able to spend your time the way you want to spend your time, creating the impact you want to make, living the legacy you want to live, with the people you want to be with. I love that. And you're speaking my language because that's- I've got your love language down. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even know this about you, but that's exactly what I would say is freedom is my highest value. So it all comes from that focal point. Exactly. You know, what's so interesting about that, Mindy, is I always wanted to create, I mean, way back when it wasn't a laptop life because we didn't have computers. And then when we got computers, they were massive, but, but I always wanted to have a totally portable life and live wherever I wanted to live. And before I had kids and was married, I was living all over the place. Like I would pop from place to place at the time. I did personal training. I would sell a company and then start a new one and go somewhere else. And then I went into multi-level marketing, which is the ultimate vagabond business you can just do from anywhere. You know, so this was all before I settled down and I still think, oh my gosh, I actually managed to settle in a place for for an extended period of time with my kids um, who do not have this crazy wandering gene that I have. Oh, interesting. My my birth mom, because I met my birth parents, I'm adopted, is a complete gypsy. Always was. Huh. Birth dad is a total stay-at-home dude, but birth mom was a gypsy too. But you know, I dreamed of creating a laptop life so that I could have freedom and be wherever I wanted to be. And that I never knew was what was going to be like one of the key ways I was able to save my son's life. Because you know, when my son's horrible accident happened, I could do my business from the hospital. I mean, I literally was in the hospital for, in the ICU, four and a half months and launched my first big book, my first New York Times bestseller. I launched it bedside. He was in a coma. In fact, the first time I broke a million dollars in my business, I was sitting bedside with him in a coma. I have the picture of me with the laptop open telling him. (laughs) That is amazing. I did not know that. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's just... 
It is crazy. And I, I don't, you can't drop a little hint of a story like that without talking <laughs> a little bit more about like what happened, what's going on, you know, tell us, tell us more. Yeah. Yep. That was a tease. So I've got two boys. I'm the, I'm the financial support for my kids. I pretty much always have been. Um, my ex-husband's an awesome human and brilliant, but not super like money's just not his thing. In fact, he was raised as a trust fund kid. And so he never like thought about money. It was always there and he was always taken care of. So what's interesting with that, and it just shows you how money is like, I never really had any. So I always was like, okay, if I want to go be able to do that, I have to go get it. I have to go earn it. Right. Mm -hmm. He always was taken care of. So it just never dawned on him. And so, you know, when you are raised and you you have to earn everything that you are going to get. I like look at my kids and I want to make sure they have the things that I didn't have, which is kind of ridiculous because what makes you that person is working for those things. Right, <laughs> so, striving for that. Right? It's striving for those things. Anyway, um, back when they were 15 and 16, Grant was out. He was out at dusk walking and he was crossing the street. No one really knows what happened because the only witness was the driver of the car who took off. So all we know is that a neighbor pulled up to save my son, who was like basically in a puddle on the street, saw a woman get out of her car, gasp and get back in her car and drive off. And he called 911. My son was airlifted to the local hospital. Fortunately, my ex-husband and son Bryce, the 15-year-old, drove by the scene. It was only a couple blocks from our house and asked the policeman what had happened because now they were cleaning up the scene. And the policeman said, oh, a boy got hit and was airlifted to the local hospital and looked at Bryce because my kids are a, a year apart. You know, they look, we call them Irish twins, right? And he goes, he looked just like him. Mm. And so, I mean, you can imagine, here we are racing to the hospital. They will not tell us anything because he has no ID on him. We get to the hospital. They usher us into a room. Like, this is, this is all of the really bad bedside manners, you know, of this hospital. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And they put us in this room and start asking us questions. I go, hold on. Like, where, what is going on with my son? And that's when they told us that he'd been in a, like, very, very serious accident. And that sometime in the next 24 hours, he was going to die. That he had a torn aorta, and that kills... 90% of the people right on the scene. That's what uh, Lady Diana died of. And um, the challenge was they couldn't repair it there it's because he also had multiple brain bleeds. He was in a deep coma. And the type of surgery he needed was super specialized. And so he would have to be airlifted to the next hospital, which was over at UCLA. And he said, but he would never survive an airlift. And even if he were to survive the airlift, he wouldn't survive that surgery. It's a very intense surgery. And even if he were to survive both of those, he'd be so brain damaged, it wouldn't be worth it. And you know, my, my son Bryce is sitting looking at this doctor and I've grown up, my whole business is doctors, as you know, I've grown up with doctors. John's family, my ex-husband are all doctors. So doctors are not sitting on the typical pedestal in our house. You know, it's like, we know, we know them. And this is an opinion I'm getting. This is not fact. Yeah. And so Bryce looks at this doctor and he says, well, maybe is there a 0.25% chance he could make it? And the doctor said, well, that sounds about right. And Bryce says, you know, we'll take those odds. That's not zero. <laughs> so, but I will tell you the bigger thing I did then was um, I walked outside. And here's the part of the story that I really don't talk about much. That, and some of this I just found out really over the last two years. 
my son had had challenges his entire life. They diagnosed him with ADHD, with bipolar, with OCD, with ODD. I mean, it was like ridiculous. I go, wait a minute, you've walked into a psychiatrist's office for five minutes and now he's got all of these labels. Like, this is dumb. I started searching for answers. I started trying every, like I tested him for heavy metals and, and gluten and food sensitivities and had his brain spec scan with Daniel Amen. I was looking for everything possible to see what was going on. And we got him more stable, but we never got him, he, he still struggled with impulse control and anger and we, he'd had challenges his whole life. And that night he'd always said to me, like he'd get frustrated and say, I'm just gonna go hit by a car. Whoa. And that night he said to me, I'm just gonna go get hit by a car, he was angry. And I just had this feeling like I just, you know, cause he'd said it so many times and I'm like, uh, you know, but at some point, what can you do? Right. <laughs> so he walked out that night as he had many nights. And I don't believe Mindy that he walked in front of the car, but I totally believe that he manifested that experience. And as I stood there that night, I walked outside cause I thought, all right, whether he walked in front of that car or not, he created this situation. And I went, what does he want? What do I do for him? What's the right thing to do? And I just stood outside and I got super quiet and I asked that question, like, what, Grant, what do you want me to do? And I just heard, fight for me, mom. Mm -hmm. And I walked back in there and I said, we are overruling you. And uh, you know, the biggest thing I said to Grant all through, all through the time he was in the ICU and all through the time healing was, Grant, you're a warrior. You're going to be 110%. Like, this will be the best thing that ever happened to you. And that was my pure focus, even though there were some days it certainly didn't look like he even get to be like 20%, much less 110%. But I believe that, that this was the peace that needed to happen. And I felt it so much that night. And I felt it so much as I was going through this, that, that this was the catalyst for him to become who he needed to become in life, that he was going down this dark path. And as we started really come through the brain injury, I met some amazing doctors who suggested testing him for Lyme and Bartonella off the charts. We've managed to heal him of that through some specific stuff out of Africa and I'm now meeting my son for the first time in our lives. Wow. And it's so cool. You know? you know, what's so interesting, JJ, is I feel so similarly about what happened with Sean. Obviously, much different outcome. But five years before his accident last year, he had another accident. And you were part of I remember. Healing. Yeah, you were like all about helping him heal back then. And he and I had a conversation back then and I had said, you know what, when you're ready, like you can go. I know this has been a tough run of it for you. And I, I want you to know that like, I will be okay. You can go. And again, kind of like you said, I don't think he manifested that accident per se, or, or he did. It wasn't like intentional, but I feel like as you were saying, I'm like, that's exactly what Sean did. Like he, caused that accident himself not to say oh I'm, I'm wanting to die right now but really I think he was done and so that that just moved me because I was like I get that so yep. much it's the part of the story I haven't I couldn't I couldn't tell it when I wrote the book warrior mom 
because it wasn't, the story was in the middle. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't, didn't really know the extent of how Grant had felt as he was coming through the brain injury. He, he had, uh, Bryson Grant had a friend commit suicide and Grant got so upset about it because he goes, oh my gosh, I could have done something, you know? And, and because he felt, he knew what it felt like to be there. And so, you know, now that we've gone through this, it's like, and he's becoming more aware and he sees the difference. It's just, it's a, it's a very different story to tell. And I think it's really important for people to really think about someone's wishes. You know, when my dad was dying of cancer, he was holding on. He was, he'd been like this six, four man's 220 pounds. And he was in a hospital bed in our, my parents' bedroom and he was 150 pounds in diapers. Right. And what was amazing during that time was seeing my mom, who's not the warmest, fuzziest person, was so kind and sweet. And it was like, boy, when you see how someone shows up as a caretaker and my dad was, had always taken care of her and he would not let go. He would not let go. And I finally went in there and sat with him when my mom was gone. And I said, okay, dad, you know, I've got this now. Like, I will take care of mom. You can let go. Because he wouldn't let go. And I think that that's a really important thing that no one really talks about is like, is like honoring someone for where they are. And when it's their time, it's their time. Absolutely. And not being selfish about it. When right. They are ha- like with Sean, like there was a lot of challenges in this life for him, physical challenges, all kinds of things. And like, I feel like it would be selfish for me to have said, no, you should have stayed longer. No, he was done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally quite a mark, <laughs> quite a mark in that short amount of time. Well, he, just what he said at the yeah. end. Oh my gosh, Mindy, like this didn't happen to me. It happened for me. He like, said that in the hospital that night. Yeah. But you know what? I, even that, even that, I think that he at some level knew I'm on my way out right now. So knowing Sean, he would want to go out with a bang and he would have said something profound just to have that quoted for the rest of eternity. (laughs) I guarantee (laughs) I know him. He would have loved that. So JJ, I know that with you, there's so much work that you do around mindset because you not only have had to up your own level of just getting through shit in your life, you know, going through these really hard experiences, but you also do this with clients, whether it be around health and fitness or just general success principles, you have so much to offer in terms of mindset. So I wanted to ask you, how have you developed that yourself? Like, how has that been brought up in you? You know, it's so interesting. So I wrote that book we first called it Miracle Mindset. I switched it to Warrior Mom. But I remember going to the publishers and they're like, but you're a health person, not a mindset person. And I'm like, um, first of all, like mindset is everything. I remember back when I was on Dr. Phil and he said, I can totally tell who's going to be successful. We were doing the weight loss challenges. And I go, all right, tell me. And he goes, if someone believes they can. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's so obvious, you know, if someone tells you I'm going to try to lose weight, they're not, it's not happening. Right. They have to see themselves already there. They have to believe it before they'll actually see it in the real world. And so I've always put mindset into everything, but here's, what's crazy. I write this whole book, Miracle Mindset. And 
people were like, how did you do that? How did you know how to do that? How did you have all those things? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. They just, you know, I picked them up along the way. No, that's actually not true at all. What happened was, and I forgot all about this. At the age of 30, I had a mentor, Kay Smith, and Kay was going to teach me how to be successful in business. It was funny because I met her when in my 20s and, and she was like, I was getting going off to get my PhD and she goes, why are you doing that? And I go, I want to be successful and help a bunch of people. She goes, well, you know, you don't necessarily need to get a PhD to do that. I'm like, well, sure you do. Like, you know, <laughs> right. You know, it's that whole, well, I just need another degree, another certification, another, another, another to avoid doing the real work. Anyway, she said at 30, you're going to start to realize how important money is. And I'm like, Ugh, yeah, right. At 30, she pings me. And says, you ready to learn how to be successful? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> so I actually dropped out of the PhD program and moved to Florida and moved in with her. And she didn't teach me anything about business, selling, success, any of that stuff for months. For months, the first thing she did was she put a rubber band around my wrist. And anytime I had a limiting belief, I was supposed to snap that rubber band. And I remember thinking, Mindy, oh my gosh, I just moved here to Florida. I sold my business. I dropped out my PhD program and I'm supposed to wear a rubber band. Like to snap on your wrist. <laughs> I, like, I, like what the hell was I thinking, right? So I've got this rubber band I keep snapping. And the next thing she does is have me tightly control my environment. Now, this is never more important than right now. She said, no news you know, everything from who you hang out with, what you read, what you listen to, uh, you have to manage. And so back then, of course, there was no internet and any of that stuff, but I had, I had an, uh, a little, it wasn't even, it was a Sony Walkman. It was like, it wasn't even an iPod because we didn't have those. Sony Walkman. I would get tapes from um, like Napoleon Hill, Zig Ziglar, Ogmandino, and I would go out running with these tapes. I listened to them over and over and over again. I would read only those books, Think and Grow Rich, all of types of things. And then I was hanging out with people who were all kind of in that place or ahead of me. And so she just taught me to tightly control that. And then she had these theories and, oh my gosh, I keep, I keep finding more of them in my brain and I just have to meditate on them to let them come out because they're so much a part of me. But she had all of these different sayings, all these K-isms that would come out. Like, and they were the most simple things, but they're so profound. Like, tr listen, truly listen. You're like, oh, okay. And then you realize, wait, I didn't even hear anything that person just said. I was so focused on what I'm going to say next, right? Or there is no right or wrong. There just is. Yes. I if I could that. tell you that spun me so hard, I was like, of course there's a right and wrong, you know? But think if you just looked at everything going on right now and you stopped with the news, because you could look at the news right now and get two entirely different pictures, depending on which news you're paying attention to, right? Exactly. And both are saying they're right. <laughs> so, you know, if you're not watching the news and you assume that there is no right or wrong, there just is, and really it's looking at something from someone else's vision, I mean, it's, it's just incredible. So she just taught me all of that stuff. I lived with her for six months and again, it became so much a part of me that I, I like forgot I even, even learned it. I just became it. It was who I, I am. I mean, it is, it is how I saved 
Grant's life, one of the most important things she said to me was, don't wish it was easier, make yourself stronger. Mm. And so when you're faced with these situations, it's like you look at the situation and go, okay, what do I need to do here? Like when I was faced with the Grant situation, I remember the first 24 hours, I'm now in the hospital at UCLA. He's in the middle of the pediatric ICU now, taken up like, he's, he looks like the Incredible Hulk in the middle of the pediatric ICU because he was 16 and he'd now swollen up to like 180 pounds. And I'm like, okay, I need to be here with him because like one of the leading causes of death in children, brain injury, one of the leading causes of death overall, death by in the hospitals, right? I'm not leaving. If I don't make this book go big, I'll be bankrupt. I'm the sole financial support of the kids. I've got to do all of this. Hmm. You know, what do I have to do? How do I make myself stronger? And I literally looked, Mindy, and I went, I have to put my self-care top of this list. Like, I can't be sick and go into the ICU, right? Like, you can't have a sniffle and go into the ICU when your kid's got a tube coming out of his brain. Like, you're not going in there. (laughs) So... I literally put on the top of the list, getting, getting eight to nine hours of sleep every night, exercising, eating healthy, taking my supplements, reaching out to friends, doing all of my mindset training that Kay had gotten so instilled in me that every morning I started out thinking of three things I was grateful for and writing them down. It's like this habit that you know I've taken everywhere. And, and when stuff blew up, knowing to like, I'll text someone and tell them what I appreciate about them. And end of the day, looking at what, what were the wins that day? What were those little miracles, which sometimes it was like he made it through the day sometimes was, you know, he squeezed my finger, whatever it was, you can always find something, right? So that, but that prioritizing of self-care when you are going to be a caretaker, as you know, like, you know, we all at some point in our lives, but probably multiple points in our lives are going to be a caretaker. And it is the most challenging thing you can ever do in your life. I mean, you know, my ex-husband, like the two of us really were bringing Grant through this, but where I was out, like going, finding all the resources and stuff, he was, you know, on the ground with him. And man, that can be the most exhausting, fatiguing thing. And if you are not working on your self-care and prioritizing yourself first, you'll never make it through it. And people feel like they're selfish when they do that. But that's not selfish. It's It's not. It's selfless, right? Yeah, I I call that self-full. It's not selfish, but self-full because you have to fill up yourself first to then give to these people that we love and care and all of that. So that's, that's a huge point and an extreme example of that. So thank you for that. Because a lot of people, they're not sitting in the ICU with their kid. They're just like, Oh, I'm doing all I'm busy. Well, yes, you can still make time for your self care just as you did in that extreme context. So JJ, I want to ask you about this too, because this goes back many years. You and I had met, previous to this, but I remember seeing you at a specific event and I was, I saw you and I'm like, she is just beaming right now. She's radiant. And I went up to you and I said, you are just beaming right now. Like you look great, but it was more than like how you looked. It was your energy. And you said to me, it's because I'm in love. Oh, that's (laughs) what I was thinking you were going to (laughs) say. 
And I was like, yay, that's awesome. Yay. So what I want to ask you about is how has that experience of just love intersected with your love of freedom, this conversation around wealth? Like talk to me about love in your life. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I always said that my perfect relationship would, la would live like two hours away from me. And for years, like, you know, my ex-husband and I, like, he's an amazing guy. We're very good friends, um, but we just weren't a right fit couple. But after that, the guys I dated literally would live two to three hours away. <laughs> and it was like perfect. And because I didn't want anyone like bogging me down, like stopping me from doing the stuff I wanted to do, telling me I couldn't do something like that's not going to happen. Right. Because freedom is the highest value. Freedom's the highest value. <laughs> so, and then, and I've never been in love in my life. Like you realize when you really are in love, you realize what being in love is. Like, I think people think that having a crush, having that short term, that infatuation, that is not being in love. This being in love is the most, it's like, it's like being in a wonderful warm bath all the time, you know? And, and so when I met Tim, and it happened just the way I, I've studied Alison Armstrong's work about understanding, right, understanding men. And she's like, avoid the man that you meet and you go crazy in the first hour. Yes, which I had to prove she was right. So I did that <laughs> dumb thing. Um, but it was interesting. My first date with Tim, I was like, yeah, it's okay. I mean, you know, he didn't knock my socks off, but he, I loved the way he showed up. He was such a gentleman. He was so attentive. He'd skimmed my book. I always say, you know, did he said, I, I read your book. I'm like, you skimmed my book, but he brought me dark chocolate. He like had paid attention. And I remember at the time I was getting over something and I had bad coffee immediately got me water. Then I dropped my purse. He picked it up. He just took care of me, you know? And I was like, huh. And uh, then we went out again and I brought all my friends with me because I said, I've clearly got a bad picker. So I'm going to bring them too. I'll bring the board. And everyone's like, wow, we really like him. And he was dealing with like all sorts of chaos going on with everybody, you know, just kind of like, this is a group that hangs together a lot. And now all of a sudden he's thrust into the middle of it. And then, then after that, we went and just spent the day walking in the park. It was the most romantic, ridiculous thing. It's like the sun, the, the, you know, it's misty out. There's Everything's just perfect. <laughs> it was like, I was like this. And I remember asking him, Mindy, I go, so what are you looking for? And he goes, you, I've been uh, looking for you. <laughs> I love that. Of course, then I said, well, let me tell you about me. And I proceeded because I was like, I was so sick of guys saying, you know, oh, you work too hard. You're too this. And you're, so I just told him everything. He goes, that's not working. I know what you're trying to do. That's just drawing me in closer. What's been so interesting with him is that I feel more free than I've ever felt in my life. I feel free and safe free and protected. You know, it's like amazing. So I think you can be in a super deep, wonderful, warm relationship where honestly, like we are together, especially since the pandemic, we've been together almost all the time. And if you told me that before, I would have been like, no way in hell. <laughs> you know, right. And it's amazing. And I never feel crowded, claustrophobic, stuck, anything. And uh, he lets me be more me. I love those two, two words that you used, free and safe, because to me, that's so much about 
the masculine feminine and not necessarily like him as the masculine and you as the feminine, but the masculine and feminine in all of us, because Mm you, AJ, you're a powerful, badass woman. So you've got that like in your career, all of that's going forward. That's like full freedom. And then to have that feminine, just be able to say, okay, now I feel safe in that context. That's like perfection right there is just bringing both in. I love that. So I have a framework that I ask all of my guests based on this acronym called HERB, H-E-R-B. And you are such a pro guest that you actually answered some of them already (laughs) because Mm. we go through habits, environment, resources. (laughs) And then the one I really, really, really want to ask you about is the B, which stands for beliefs. Mm. What are some of your core beliefs or the ways that you see the world that just allows you to show up as you do? I believe that we are never better than when we're challenged. You know, I, you look at a beautiful day, the sun was out, you had a great time with your friends. Maybe, you know, the FedEx guy came and brought you a pair of shoes that a friend gave you and, you know, a, a puppy and a tiara. Uh, you know, everything went perfect that day. And you don't look at the end of that day and go, gosh, I really grew as a person today. You know, it, never one time. And that, that we're so much stronger than we think. But the only way to test that strength is to go through these challenges. And every time you go through those challenges, it's like, you know, you stretch that comfort zone and it doesn't go back. And when you look at the people who have just done these tremendous things in their lives, they weren't given anything. It wasn't like, okay, here you have the fairy wand and, you know, you were raised in this wealthy family and everything went perfectly. No, you kind of pull back the layers and you go, oh my gosh, you know, like you've gone through some stuff. So, I mean, I love that quote that Elizabeth Gilbert wrote in Eat, Pray, Love about, and I'm going to totally blow this quote up, but it basically was, you know, my, my, um, the women I admire are not the women who like make it, who've had it easy. The women I admire have gone through shit (laughs) and they've come through it and they're better because of it. And they are my superheroes. So true. Yeah. And she's another great example of just a woman who has gone through some stuff big Mm -hmm. time and then just come out on the other side. Are there other because I love, I mean, I could just dig into this for the next five hours, which we won't do, but I love talking about just like how people see the world because of course that then creates their reality. You've been a shining example of that. So maybe what's like one more belief that you hold? I am super believer in, in intention and the power of belief and in that your thoughts create. Um, when Grant was in the hospital, I was so careful I could only hold this vision of him as 110%. And I made sure everyone around me held that. And if they couldn't hold it, they were, they were allowed to leave the team. And I remember these orthopedic surgeons and, you know, they're the big, like big guys of the hospital because they book a lot of beds, they do a lot of business. And so they come in and Grant had a crushed heel injury and it wasn't healing. And he had a pin sticking out of it. It looked like, honestly, I was like, what is this? You know, because when your kid's nearly dying from a torn aorta, you don't worry about little things like crushed heels and broken femurs. But once you get through that and they're starting to wake up coming out of a coma, then we start to look at other things like the fact that he's got like glass still in him, you know, all this other stuff. And so he had this heel 
And I'm thinking, that's ah, a heel, no big deal, right? Just a heel. Like, boy, your perspective really changes when you get into this situation. And they go, listen, this is a life-changing injury. We are just going to try to get them to be able to walk again. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I support them out of the room. I go, no, no, <laughs> nope. And, you know, I said, I want you to pretend that Kobe Bryant is here in this bed. Because you wouldn't be saying that to him. You would be doing anything you had to do to get him back to his career. And that's what I need from you. If you can do that, great. If you can't, then I'll go find other doctors. And you know, it's so interesting because I kept telling everyone where he was going to be and how he was going to be. And at first they thought, you know, they looked at me like I was a nut job, but then everybody started getting engaged in that mission. And so any little bit of doubt in my mind, I'm like, no, no. And I notice in my life, when I have super clarity about a goal, when I can see it in my mind's eye, because everything's created twice, first you're going to create it first in your mind. When I can see it so clearly, when I just, every day I'm focused on it, whether it was what was going to happen with the virgin diet and and it was going to be a New York Times bestseller, finding Tim, I literally told Vivian, my girlfriend, one of my best friends, a couple months before I said, I'm ready to get married now. I'm going to go find the, I'm going to go find the guy. She's like, okay. You know, so so I, I think that when you get so clear and you can see it so clearly in your mind's eye that you believe it because you will not see it out there unless you believe it. And a lot of that belief, Mindy, is believing that you're worth it. Like, let's face it, right? You know, that you are good enough, that you're worthy, that you deserve this, that you were put here for a reason, that you've got bigger things to do out there. And that every time that you feel like you're not good enough, that you're like need to learn more, that you're an imposter, that just means that you're pushing into a bigger playing field, that you're testing the universe because you're not here to play small. Yes, woman. (laughs) Preach it, preach it. I love that. JJ, this has been delightful, truly. It's always great to see you, always great to catch up. And I'm just so grateful for you sharing with my audience. This has been awesome. So thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe to The Lucrative Society on iTunes. And please leave a review of the podcast. Visit lucra.com for transcripts and resources or to become a member of The Lucrative Society where I coach purpose-based entrepreneurs on business, mindset, and heartset. Lucra, where wealth equals well-being.